beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Hello? Hello, this is Sammy from Toronto. Are you good to go? Let's do it. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sam Yunan, and uh, with me today is uh, comic book writer Steve Orlando. You consider yourself a comic book writer or creative worlds or uh, super god? Uh, I mean, I, I don't just write. I mean, I work mostly in comic books right now, but I've done animation. I've, I'm, I'm doing an, actually a novella that'll be out next year, so mm-hmm. I'm all over the place when it comes to writing. Yeah. And uh, you've also just recently celebrated a birthday. Well, kind of recently. Yeah. Yeah, about a month ago. Yeah, I turned 34. Did you actually put any, like, uh, superhero characters on your birthday cake? <laughs> uh, well, my birthday cake was a chocolate orb that was filled with ice cream, so uh, I didn't have any superheroes on it. But uh, I came. Back, my birthday came from my past life, which is when I was a food and wine advisor. So uh, it's a totally, <laughs> totally different scene. But, uh, you know, I had a life before I could, I could live off writing like many of us do. Mm-hmm. And you said on Twitter that so far 34 has been your best year ever. That's according to you. So what what's making 34 so great? Uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, when I was a kid, I told myself that if I could ever make, you know, a living off writing and I could make my own schedule, that I wouldn't really have any excuses not to be active and not to do more. And I sort of gave myself a kick in the ass after my, uh, towards the end of 2018, uh, you know, when it comes to activity and exercise and taking advantage of the fact that I can make my own schedule. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm in the best relationship I've been in. I'm the healthiest I've been. And, you know, I'm going to write Wonder Woman. So it is, uh, it's been a pretty wild year, but uh, it's, it's a place that young Steve kind of only hypothesized he would maybe someday be in. And I realized now that I'm in that place, it's time to stop fucking around and uh, making good on the plans and the things I told myself I would do when I was younger. Yeah, and so was that always the goal was to get into comics and write, or was did you want to do also like screenplays and uh, TV shows and all kinds of stuff? Uh, I mean, I started trying to break into comics when I was twelve years old, and I didn't live off it till I was well, I wasn't in till I was twenty eight, and I wasn't really living off it till I was twenty nine or thirty. So it took more, you know. Mm-hmm. When I finally landed a job at DC, I had been trying to break into comics longer than I had been trying to break in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as my life goes. So I started going to conventions when I was 12 and trying to meet creators and learn how to write. So I always knew I wanted to do that. And, yeah, I studied Russian folklore and Russian culture in college, and I didn't want to work for the government, so I ended up being a line advisor for 10 years uh, until I landed my first work at Image, which led to my first work at DC. Um, But, no, it was always the plan, branching out into novellas and TV animation and film. That's all sort of come later because, uh, you know, to be honest, I didn't think I didn't give up uh, clearly. Uh, but I, you know, there's less spots at DC Comics than there is in the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. So the odds were against me. Uh, so uh, I didn't really think of what would come after. And now that I'm an adult and I'm there, you kind of have to. What was some of the first DC uh, comics or characters that kind of came into your life? Uh, well, I mean, the first book I regularly bought from DC was, uh, the Graham Morrison and Howard Porter JLA, which came out in the 19, in the, in 1997. Mm -hmm. But I had been reading a lot of stuff. It's funny. I, the early comics I bought in the eighties and nineties were usually Marvel comics. And it was all, it was all either because the characters had been replaced, um, 
you know, circa like the Clone Saga and Scarlet Spider, or because it's just what I picked up first with West Coast Avengers, I always liked sort of more obscure and off the beaten path characters. But DC, my love for those characters actually came from collecting trading cards and non-sport cards. And I found the 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 imagery and, and the characters so mysterious and engrossing uh, that that's really where I, I feel like I knew to this day, I sort of have this, this large encyclopedic knowledge of, of DC characters, and I think it's because the first DC stuff I encountered was were these were these trading cards, and I would you know, and I had to learn about all these people, and I'd read them over and over again, and that's how I found out there was a Golden Age Green Lantern and a Silver Age Green Lantern, and a well at that time it was still called the Modern Age, and I would call it the Bronze Age Green Lantern, you know, and uh, and I just thought that was also fascinating, so. I think the way that I approached uh, the concepts was informed a lot by that because to me, like, you know, there's, there's no, there, I, everybody says there's no bad characters and I think that's true. And especially like, there's nothing at DC I wouldn't be interested in elevating and putting a fresh coat of paint on because I think they're all, you know, I didn't know who was big and who wasn't when I first met DC's universe, you know, I was obviously into Superman and Batman, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that Martian Manhunter was maybe not as popular as Green Lantern or The Flash. Uh, and I didn't even know that people like Barry Allen uh, more than Jay Garrick. I just thought Jay Garrick looked cooler, you know. So he has a nice hat. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always looked at the DC universe a little differently, and it is uh, a group of characters that I love, and I'm excited to expand. But I think it's because a lot of my uh, connection to it came from outside of comics at first. Yeah, and it's interesting. You say you like you were attracted to like the offbeat or kind of. Um... I don't know how to. I don't want to piddle uh, meanly, but like some of the losery characters or some of the not so popular characters, and it's like because that's kind of Marvel's stick too. Like they always, ever since the Stan Lee legacies, kind of always make sure that the characters have a couple of foibles to make them kind of offbeat or kind of weird. Like Peter Parker is a bit of a loser and kind of a weird person if you think about it. Uh, he should be at least. You know, there's a period of time you know when he sort of had it all, and I think that's when he kind of faltered. You know, when he was, he was, you know. He was uh, a tenured professor, and he had a supermodel wife, and it was like, "Where's the Where's the old Parker luck now? <laughs> yes. like, does he have got Does he have gonorrhea? Is that what it is?" <laughs> but like, yeah. But they they they, they found a way to get back to that. So. Mm-hmm. And you've been writing uh, Martian Manhunter, and you've just spoken about how you you liked him. What was the spark there? Was it again the cards, or like as you started to read some of the comics and stuff? What was kind of why did you fall in love with that character? Uh, I remember his DC Super Team's trading card, but the real thing for me was how he played in Grant and Howard's Justice League, because he was sort of this larger-than-life character, even amongst a team of larger-than-life characters. You know, he was he was the person that all these other characters and all these other icons depended on. The people of the DC Universe looked to as gods. This was the person they looked to. And so from a character standpoint, I found that really fascinating. And yeah, on a, on a base level, I think he looks really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 costume is classic. It's ridiculous. It's right up there with the Dave Cockrum Colossus costume as, as, yes. as something that only works because the characters don't have flesh colored skin or you'd realize they look like strippers. <laughs> yes. And but I but I loved him and I loved I loved the alienness of him. You know, he wasn't he wanted to live among us but he didn't want to give up what made him different as well and I think that's really poignant and fascinating. So I think that's why he stuck with me from a young age. A younger age. Mm-hmm. I mean, even your arc issues you've been writing from Martian Manhunter, even from the very first issue, you're trying to establish the fact that he he's not quite a hero just yet. Like, he's going to be, but he isn't just yet. 
And I guess that's partly how you that was that made sense for you to approach the character that way because that's how you kind of already see him. Well, and I think that's what makes the uh, the icon the iconic characters iconic. You know, obviously, like uh, you know, you were talking about Spider Man. Well, Spider Man is isn't Spider Man just because he has powers. He's Spider Man because of that moment with the robber. Mm-hmm. You know, and and similarly, Bruce Wayne doesn't immediately like watch his parents get killed and decide he's going to be this, like, Ronin-like, you know, force for justice. He's angry for a long time. He spends an indeterminate amount of time working out that anger through training and, and finding the right focus for that anger, which is Batman. So what I thought that we could bring to John is a similar type of journey. You know, he's, and, and Mar is in many ways, that's his letting the robber go moment. That's when he's at his lowest and he pays a huge price. And then this story... As we've seen, you know, in in his Earth journey in the story is how he built himself back up. And I think it'll mean a lot more when he finally self-actualizes as the Martian Manhunter because it wasn't always easy for him. It wasn't perfect on Mars. It wasn't perfect when he got here. And he really had to find strength and build strength within himself. And that's what we have to do. That's why we look to people like Peter Parker. And so that's hopefully why we're going to look to him after this book is done as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because you the you made the decision to make his human form uh, a black man, which kind of uh, makes it a little bit more difficult, doesn't it, than for him to kind of assimilate on Earth and to kind of fit in and like because he would just deal with a lot more racism. Well, I think it's more difficult, uh, and there's there's you know it definitely undermines how he portrays human John Jones and what he struggles with, and you can see to an extent the other people in the precinct do expect him to be angry and fly off the handle and things like that. And they try to bait him. You know, you see that in issue seven mm-hmm. and eight, but at the same time, to me, there's never any question that your detectives, the human John Jones was going to be black. I mean, there's been such incredible work done in almost every cross media adaptation of Martian Manhunter uh, by people of color that we wanted to pay homage and respect to that. You know, whether it's David Harewood, whether it's, his appearances in Smallville, whether it's the voice work on Justice League Unlimited and Justice League, there was never any question for us it was the way to go because those people sort of forged the path for that character and we wanted to we wanted to pay tribute to that. And what is it like developing a Martian culture, uh, including alien sex, of course, <laughs> because you had to flesh all of that out? Uh, I mean, that's always been, I mean, it's, it's, it's an opportunity and it's a great challenge to think about things in a way different than humans would because obviously Riley and I are human. But at the same time, that's the, that's the wonderful opportunity of comics, that we have the space and we have this sort of collaborative style as writer and artist. And even with uh, Darren and Ivan, the colorist and letterer, we give a lot of leeway to each other to, to operate and do what we do best. It's a challenge every issue to make sure we're innovating, to make sure we're doing things differently. But at the same time, you know, that's a tribute both to the, the massive, massive world that you know, forerunners of science fiction like Edgar Rice Burroughs created, you know, uh, whether it's the language, whether it's the culture of Barsoom and uh, in, in his series, and even, even, even Venus and other planets uh, in, in his other, in his other lines of adventure lines. But it's also, the, the, you know, the people that I read when I was younger, you know, that's, that vast expanse of world was the type of thing that you got when Grant took over Doom Patrol. It's the type of thing you got when Alan took over Swamp Thing. We we wanted to really rattle the cage with this character and and show you how like give you the most of what it could possibly be in this book. And that yeah, that means a lot of work and it means rebuilding bars from the ground up. But 
you know, he's been around since the sixties. He deserves this type of love and you guys deserve a story and creators that love him that much. So that's, that's what we're doing every issue. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to world building like that, how do you start initially? Like, are, is it by you basing on the story, the characters, uh, do you approach each situation differently? Cause you have to do that again for like electric warriors as well. Cause you're building the future. Everything is always based on character. You know, that's how, you know, you have to know the core of these characters and what they want and how they live and how they act and your story builds around that. You know, basically, you can... you Once you know that for each of your leads, that's the North Star. And no matter what happens, you know, the story comes from how they would react. So you build a stimulus around them. But the most time is spent knowing exactly who these characters are and spending time with them before you start working. So... It's really no different on Electric Warriors or Martian Manhunter uh, because, you know, there was such a strong core uh, to people like Warcry. I mean, Warcry was all about um, his indignance as a human who, you know, he saw as, as, as people who had been given a shot and, and people who were disrespected. Uh, Serene was all about strength uh, because that's what, that, that's what the culture was had taught her for so long. And Dominator was all about identity because their culture did not really allow them identity. But coming to this war-torn planet was an opportunity to develop that. And the key in all these things is that most of the writing, as a lot of people say, is done before you put anything on paper. And you just have to spend time and, and really interrogate who the characters you're creating are. And, you know, I could have written Electric Warriors for 35, for 30 to 100 more issues. Mm -hmm. And no matter what we did to those characters, you'll always get story out of them because you, when you know them, uh, like you know some of your best friends, they become a lens that you can just shoot any type of thing through. And that reflection, that's your story. So it's hard because it's getting to know someone. But, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what creators do. And uh, it's, it's, it's most exciting and stressful, but also fun part of the job. Then it must be a relief then, in in one sense. I mean, it is a lot of joy because you are building a world, but then to do something like Gotham City Monsters, where Gotham City is a world that's been built over decades, um, and it's fully established, and it's got Monster Town and all these little iconic places and locations, like, that must be a relief just to kind of go and play in that playground and just kind of do some ruckus and then leave and not necessarily have to worry about world building. You don't have to worry about world building, but the challenge is still there. Of 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 because yeah, Gotham is sort of uh, an aggressive and harsh place. Yeah, the, the 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 way you work it is the same in many ways because like Frankenstein has rarely been there. So how does he? What tensions and 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 explosive moments do you get out of dropping a character like him into a city like Gotham? So it's different. It's not like it's it's. I wouldn't say none of it is stressful in a bad way. It's, mm -hmm. it's all stimulating. And Gotham Monsters is a different type of book. It's more about how can we weave these elements together because, yeah, some of the characters like Killer Croc are more well-known or Batwoman, but how can we weave them together to get the most excitement, the most creative action, the most tension out of them uh, while the series is going? And are you excited to work in the horror? Because then you get a little bit of a break from the sci-fi in, in a sense and get to play in the horror playground for a little bit. Is that exciting for you? Uh, I love what we can do in Gotham Monsters. The tone is, it, I would say it's weird horror, you know, which was established in Grant and Doc Monty's Frankenstein miniseries. It's a very similar in tone to that, but mm -hmm. the, the bonuses that were set right in Gotham City. So, yeah, it's a totally different. I mean, things can be a little more arcane. The, the tools I can use, like magic, are different. And it's really about, again, finding ways to 
to, to take these characters and do things that are unexpected and give you guys things you've never seen before. And, and, and that's, that's the joy, but that, yeah, when you're work, working a horror story, it's all about that underlying creep and under, underlying grit and dirt of Gotham City and what lies beneath Gotham City. Yeah. You know, you guys, I, I, when you see where the story's going and who's leading the book on the villainous side, uh, you know, they're people who buck conventions, and I love that because it means you have characters that act totally different than you would expect Gotham characters to. We all know, the Gotham villains, we all expect them to be a certain way, and especially now that most of them are wrapped up in the city of Bane. And the opportunity with Gotham monsters is to tell a story about the the story, the characters that you know. Even Gotham City thinks no one cares about. Monster Town is basically unaffected by City of Bane because in their eyes, in the eyes of normal Gotham citizens, who the hell would ever want to live there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we really have the downtrodden of the downtrodden here. Uh, those downtrodden by the downtrodden, I should say, and uh, that's a deep, dark story, and, and and there is that feeling of horror there, but it's also creativity, and it's also passion, and in some ways, it also has this little very strangeness. So uh, I think you'll get that as soon as you see issue one. I'm very excited for you to see it. Yeah, I mean Frankenstein. In the last couple of years, since about DC Rebirth and uh, New Fifty Two, he's been kind of he's been a little bit more prominent, and they've kind of been using him a little bit more and getting him into more stories and crossovers and stuff like that. And he's a really cool character, but he just unfortunately just doesn't hang around long enough to kind of like uh, get a real proper series or something going. But he is a lot of fun, so it should be a good book. Yeah, he's a character that you know. I, there's not a single artist or writer when I mentioned I was doing out the monsters that wasn't excited about Frankenstein. Like he's yeah. a he's a comic creator's character. We all love him, and I think anybody would like you know fall over themselves to work in him. And it's his aesthetic, it's his personality, uh, and it's the world he lives in, which is always strange and always exciting and very pulpy very very weird sci-fi pulpy mm-hmm. so i'm excited to have him back uh and as i said like he is you know you can tell anytime someone works with him even though he doesn't appear all the time like there's real love there with anyone who gets to work with the character yeah it's a lot of fun and then picking up on the pulpy stuff that you just mentioned like you work with batman in the shadow uh how was that experience like how did that kind of come into your life uh well the shadow is my favorite character when it comes to like you know vigilante fiction whether it's pulp fiction comic book like he is uh, he's not a dc character but he's my favorite character so and that was well known so when when dynamite dc started putting together uh you know this crossover uh, they knew they have you know one of the greatest batman writers of, the, of his generation and scott snyder but scott wasn't too familiar with the shadow and I they had me on staff, who's one of the one of the biggest Shadow fans that the, the people at DC probably know. So they, once they realized the characters are going to meet, they came. They they tried to put put us together. You know, someone who knows Batman incredibly well, and someone who has some great ideas. Uh, you know, modestly for the Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and that's how it came together. It's actually the and you know I was coming off Night of the Monster Men with Riley Rossmo. We were looking for a way to work together again. Yeah. And every book that I do with Riley, it's all about some sort of interesting design thing. So with The Shadow, it was the opportunity to play with his cloak and his scarf and totally redesign him uh, in a way that fits into the DC universe and, and give people a taste of what our Batman would be like as well. So a lot of factors uh, sort of came together at the right moment for that. But uh, it's no surprise to me after how much we talk about him that when there's a chance to do a Shadow D- book at DC, I was one of the people that I reached out to. And what attracts you to the shadow? Because it's interesting. Because you were saying earlier that like you like some of the more quirky, kind of um, not quite popular characters, but the shadow's been enduring for 
I don't know how long now. Like, he's still quite a prominent character. Well, he is and he isn't, you know. Uh, almost everyone who met him in Batman in the Shadow, when I see them at conventions, it's the first time they'd ever heard of the character. He has a fan base, but they are relatively stagnant, and I think that's, that's because he hasn't had the cross-media prominence that a lot of other characters have had in the, in, you know, in the days of the, uh, of the MCU and uh, our, the DC films and all these things. It's, it's easier for these older characters to fall through the cracks. But that said, I think that I like him because he's a character that in many ways is, I mean, he's, he's almost like a, a Miltonian tragic hero, a Miltonian romantic hero. He's not, you know, when we were thinking about Batman Shadow, Scott and I were talking about how Batman is about justice, but the Shadow is not necessarily about justice. He's, he's about punishment. You know, he's forced to be the Shadow. He's not like he volunteers for it. Mm-hmm. He's a terrible person, and he's kidnapped and turned into the Shadow as a way to repent for all the things, all the terrible things he's done. And so, I think there's an incredible pathos to him. There's a, there's there's an amount of catharsis in that he's someone who, in some ways, even more than Batman, makes those who intimidate us and and make us afraid. He makes them feel that way. You know, uh, people are afraid of Batman, but he's not insidious in the way that the Shadow is, who relishes essentially driving driving people insane once when he deems them worthy of it. Uh, and he, you know, that's beyond uh what's acceptable the shadow knows well yeah and uh, but i think that those actions obviously are all on the border of almost not being heroic you know and and there's a there's a delight in them that is questionable but at the same time uh these characters in there does give us a release and give us the catharsis that we can't get in daily life so i think that he's a very powerful character because he's definitely and he's much more like us as well. Like he's decided before, more than anyone else, he's decided he's not good enough for a redemption. You know, his his quest for redemption is is ongoing uh, because he'll never think that he's achieved it. And I think for him to finally accept that, if he ever does, that's a lot like our journey. Uh, I think his his relative inability to overcome himself is in some ways much more human than Batman, who yes has struggled and dealt with extreme trauma, but also. Uh, you know, lives the life of a of a jet-setting billionaire. So, I think the shadow is very real. He's very earthy, and and at, at his heart, is a character that we can relate to, and hopefully, is is a cautionary tale for us to learn to be more forgiving of ourselves. That's interesting. I want to pick up on the pulp sensibilities. Now that you've elaborated on that, you can see it through like uh, like uh, Batman uh, Shadow. Uh, midnight or even there's like there's definitely a pulp sensibility that you've picked up or you kind of inject into your writing and it's pretty interesting i like it oh i hope so uh, <laughs> you know those characters are primal and mm. uh to me doc savage and the shadow are just uh, are just as iconic as batman and superman someday i'll get to write them together yeah someday i mentioned like midnighter and like your midnighter was the first midnighter i'd ever read i hadn't read some of the warren ellis stuff before that so it was it was interesting because it's like a lot of people initially were saying that he was like gay Batman, but the way you wrote him and the the journey that you put uh, Midnighter on was not gay Batman at all. It was just like a it's very much like the way you kind of approached the Shadow and all these different characters you've already talked about, where like you had a clear arc that you want to execute and you wanted him to go to a certain emotional place. 
Well, I mean, you know, you have characters after evolve, and in the and you're, you're not crazy. I mean, Midnighter, as created by Warren Ellis, was noted to be the shadow, who, uh, you know, by John Woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that way to put it. Yeah. That was the log line for the character when Warren Ellis created him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no surprise there that that's how I wrote him. But you know, you get you get a freedom with a character like Midnighter, who's not as well known as Batman to have him sort of evolve and change a little more. You know, in some ways, Batman is emotionally stagnant in many ways. He seldom gotten over things that happened to him when he was eight or nine years old. In real life, uh, you know, you would hope that someone actually moved on. <laughs> and so, you know, we can't do that with Bruce because he's perpetually in, in, you know, acting out his stages of grief in a, in a leather towel. <laughs> but with a character like Midnighter, you can do that, and you can say, well, okay, like this horrific origin happened to me, mm-hmm. but you can put him on a journey that's much more like our own to say, okay, these horrific things happened to me, can't undo them, so how am I going to carve out a life despite my fault? And yes, it's hyper-real in Midnighter, because his faults are that he, he like is made for wholesale violence and, and the massacring of criminals, but you know his efforts to put that to a constructive purpose is a sort of like, you know, superlative uh, <laughs> version of what we all go through, I think, in daily life. Yeah, I guess. And that seems to be kind of like a theme, too. Like the the characters that you talked about and the arcs that you talked about, they're all kind of trying to resolve, I guess is the best word, resolve their identity and just kind of be at peace with who they actually are and like be comfortable and recognize like I'm the shadow, I'm dead inside and this is it. Like. They're trying to resolve and be comfortable with who they are. Is that kind of like a consistent theme as well through your work? Well, I, th- I think it is. You know, you on some level want to write about things that you've gone through. Uh, but I think on some level as well, you know, that's it's not just my work. You know, I think that's, that, that's core to many of our iconic characters. It's core to Superman, you know, mm-hmm. constantly deciding if he, you know, with people judging whether he's really Kal-El or he's really Clark Kent real person you know and so i think these, these struggles of identity are sort of endemic and 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 and, and infused into the dna of the superhero genre because you have these people that are almost almost by definition live double lives whether they have a secret identity or not so uh it's yeah it, it's important to me that journey is important to me but i think it's also a major part of, of superhero comics and, and this vigilante culture that existed in the dc universe uh as a whole yeah i mean because you said on twitter that 34 is your best your favorite year so far and you also are very open in sharing like previous photos of yourself when you were younger like you're open to sharing your own journey so you kind of mirror the characters in a sense and how you write them like this is how I've grown, this is how I've evolved, and I've gotten, like, better, and this is, I'm, like, the good Steve now, as opposed to maybe, like, when I was younger, a little bit unsure of who I was. Well, you know, if, you know, you gotta, if people can find value in the journey that you're on, the, the, the hope is that they can, so, you know, there's, you can use your platform on social media to, to, to market and do things like that, but hopefully you can use it for a little bit of good as well. Uh, so, that's at least where I'm coming from. Right, and to pick up on that thread of doing some good, you are actually putting um, together some early work for Hurricane Dorian. Yeah, we'll see if that comes together. Uh, you know, I was a little alarmed. I was a little disheartened that, uh, you know, we'll see if I, how many people actually are interested in it. But uh, you know, it, it's sometimes it's hard for people to to step up to the plate. But yeah, I mean, I I, I am uh, I become friends with Chef Andre, who runs who runs World Central Kitchen. I did Hurricane Michael relief with him in Florida. 
last year. And so I couldn't, because of the convention commitments, I, I couldn't really go to work or in Dorian with him. But I'd like, you know, I, I think that it, it's an incredible cause. And if I can do something small, uh, it's more than nothing. And, and you know, I something I got to do for myself. I'm hoping I can get some other people to contribute to beef it up a little bit. But hell, even if it only makes $10, it's $10 more than they had before. And that's a ton of sandwiches for people who have nothing. So right. uh, that's, where I, that's where I'm coming from with that. And outside of uh, comics, what can we expect from you? Is there anything kind of cool or something you're working on or you, you could, you're free to talk about in the next little while? Uh, well, there's a lot we can't talk about, but I will say, uh, you know, I outlined, uh, which is plotting uh, an episode of a cartoon next year, which will be announced soon, uh, and I will also have a novella out in 2020. So those are two arenas that I've never been in before, so... Both very exciting in, in different ways, uh, you know, both uh, from from people I never thought I'd get a chance to work with. So I can't really say more about them now, unfortunately, but uh, I will have work out in two new mediums in 2020, which is super exciting, along with some of the comics I've been trying to write for a long, long time. So, uh, you know, I have, an, I have a mixed martial arts book coming out probably next year that I've been working on uh, in the background for a while that I'm just, uh, you know, it's, it's a story I've wanted to tell since... Oh, since I got into comics. So it's been six years on, and I think it's finally coming out next year. So I can't wait for you guys to see that. How did you get into that, like, interest? How did that interest develop? Uh, I mean, to me, Nick Smart, I mean, to me, like, sports that people watch are just lips that are, you know, are just dressed-up forms of violence. So if <laughs> I'm going to watch, if I'm going to watch, like, you know, this primal conversation, to me, I just prefer to watch the real thing, which is not to shade any sport that anyone else likes. But for me, like, uh, the the sort of raw competition of mixed martial arts uh, is is something that I find really exciting. And honestly, it happened by chance. I tuned in with UFC 200 to ho- hopefully watch Brock Lesnar get his ass kicked because I'm also a wrestling fan and I <laughs> just don't like him as a person. And uh, but he won, sort of. I mean, he ended up having to vacate the win because of a drug test. Uh, but that was also the night that Amanda Nunez became the first lesbian uh, champion in UFC, and and I've been a huge fan of hers ever since. So like I don't watch every single one, but if Amanda's on or the people that I really get behind her on, I'll always tune in. Do you actually get in the ring and then do the fighting too as well? Uh, no, I'm a giant coward. Uh, <laughs> I, I I go to the gym. I, I go to the gym a lot, but it's it's there's there's no contact involved. All right. So you, if uh, comic book writing, whatever, doesn't pan out, that's not like a backup plan, then is what you're saying? No, no. You'll see me selling Nagima as an influencer or something before I get the ring. That's cool. So that is some really cool projects, though. Like, I asked you at the top, why is 34 so good? And, like, just based on the quality of the work and the number of projects you have coming out, I can see why 34 is good. Like, you have fulfilled the promise that little Steve made, like, when you were a kid. And now you're, like, on the way, which is pretty neat. We're we're trying, man. I mean, it's it's ongoing. It's ongoing. But uh, this year so far, we're, we're we're nine months in, and I haven't fucked it up yet. So, <laughs> all right, that's a positive note. We should end it there. Then that's an inspiration. For the, <laughs> that's an inspiration for the kids. Sure. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I mean, I'm on mostly social media. I'm Twitter the at the Steve Orlando, and then I'm also on Instagram, also at the Steve Orlando. So uh, you can find me there. Great. Thank you, Steve, for talking. We covered a lot. We covered, like, sci-fi, pulp, uh, shadow, Gotham monsters, Frankenstein, and mixed martial arts. That's quite a bit. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Have a good night.
Yeah, you do. That was so cool. That was me talking to Steve Orlando. I'm your host, Sam Yunan. Uh, this has been an, another episode of My Summer Lair. I'm definitely curious to check out Gotham City Monsters. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Just the Frankenstein, as I was saying in the interview, just Frankenstein. He is definitely one of DC's coolest characters. Um, definitely also check out Steve Orlando's Midnighter and his uh, Batman Shadow. Uh, those two in particular are fantastic. You can follow me and discuss comics as much as you want at uh, my pal Sammy. That's my pal Sammy on Twitter, my pal Sammy on Facebook, and my pal Sammy on Instagram. I also co-host a show on the Key Card Network called Back Issue Bloodbath. I co-host it with Andrew Young. And if you go to iTunes or the usual spots where you listen to uh, podcasts, wherever these newfangled things are, you just type in Back Issue Bloodbath. You'll find the number of episodes there. And we cover a broad range of uh, current comics that are ongoing, old-timey comics that are like from back in the days we have to celebrate and recognize. Uh, we give spotlight to certain cool creators, um, just kind of recognize their work and the body of what they have achieved. And then lastly, we get into like a, an issue, uh, something that's kind of like controversial or something that's a little bit different. And uh, we do our best to resolve it and fix things because... That's what heroes do. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, yep, that's it.